0: Just just remains standing in a moment, we'll read the scripture for today, but it's so great. We have a wonderful teaching team. Uh, We started last week, Dr. Wayne kicked it off. Uh, We're looking at the seven deadly sins in church history. Leaders came up with this list that they felt were the most dangerous and deadly to the human spirit. And we're going through those. What are they, why are they so deadly? And most importantly, how we can be victorious over them. And, uh, and so this week, well, we all got together with our teaching team and we were trying to figure out who was going to cover what topic. Um, we drew straws. I know that doesn't sound pastoral, but we drew straws. I drew the short straw. And so today the topic I'm preaching on is lust. Here we go. Do you remember, remain standing. Do you remember this video of these two dogs just to set up? today's teaching. See what you think. Oh, yeah. What does the Bible say about lust? How can we overcome it? We look at the words of Jesus. If you have your Bible in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, we read these words. Jesus said, you have heard the commandment that says you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What? On a side note, let me just point out that once again, Jesus is elevating the status of women. In the first century, Women were viewed as second-class citizens, as objects to be used. And Jesus here, once again, in the way that he's teaching, elevates the status of women. That women are not objects to be used. They're people to be loved. So I say, anyone? Yeah, that's, that's a good place to give God praise. Jesus was always lifting women up. So. so Anyone even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Well, that'll get your attention. Jesus, thank you so much for being so good to us You came to show us how to have life, real and eternal life, more and better life than we've ever dreamed of. And you give us the grace to live that out. And today, as we look at this subject, I pray that you'd lead, guide, and direct what is said. God, give me grace today to present this topic on this mysterious, often perplexing, powerful subject. God, give me the grace. Let there be truth, but let there be grace. We're all on the journey together. We're all broken people. And we pray, God, that we would meet you today in this moment because you're committed to bringing out the very, very best version of ourselves. And that's why you've said what you've said. We ask this in Jesus' marvelous name. All God's people said, Amen. Can we give God praise? Amen. 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 All right. Here's something you never said to each other today. Before you're seated, look at someone and tell them, I'm glad I'm not preaching today. Go <laughs> ahead and do that. <laughs> oh, I wow. am. Oh, my. Uh, It seems to me we live, and I think you'd agree, that we live in a sex-saturated society, that everywhere you turn in our culture, whether it's the movies, whether it's television, whether it's the internet, whether it's music, whether it's social media. I mean, a while back, I picked up an old-school car magazine And when you pick up a car magazine, you pick it up to look at the cars and to read about the cars. But as I was flipping through the pages, an advertisement came up uh, for a car. You can see the advertisement right here. If we can bring that advertisement up, it was an advertisement like this. And so here's a beautiful woman standing next to the car. So the first question I have is this, what does she have to do with the car? Did she design a car? Did she build the car? Does she come with the car? (laughs) Will she marry me if I buy that car? Of course not. But advertisers know if you put a beautiful woman next to a car, when somebody turns the page, it's going to capture their attention. And so living like we do, in a very sex, a sex saturated society it can be a bit overwhelming what's a person to do to maintain moral purity in this society sometimes it feels like being in a well the finals in the last 2 minutes of a basketball game and you're playing on the opponent's court and you have a free throw to shoot to win the game But the longer you hold the ball and look at the goal, it seems higher and it seems further and everybody in the stands is screaming, trying to make you miss. It's no wonder that every once in a while we shoot an air ball, living in the culture that we do but thanks be to God, thanks be to God, that God is still with us and God is still for us and God is cheering us on and God is ready to give us another shot. Can somebody give God praise for that, amen? In one place, the Bible says, what a terrible failure I am. Who will save me from the sin that brings death to my body. Have you ever felt like that? You had an off week or an off month or an off year and you come back to God and you feel like a complete and total failure. But the verse doesn't end there, it doesn't. That is not the end of the verse, it continues. I give thanks to God. He will do it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So for the next few moments, let's talk about three things when it comes to overcoming lust, understanding three things about the sin of lust. First of all, let's talk about the goal of lust. What is the goal of lust? The Bible says in Hebrews, and let me mention that when the Bible was written to the church at Corinth or to the Hebrews, the first century was a very promiscuous culture, as promiscuous as all, our, our, our culture today. So this would have been very countercultural back then. So it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between husband and wife. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, we read this. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, Paul writes, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Now, let me state the obvious. God is the one who created sex. I didn't invent it. You may think you're Don Juan and you invented it. We did not invent it. God is the one who created it. And the purpose for its creation, God created sex for marriage. uh, For for marriage, we just read it. And when uh, sex takes place in marriage, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Now, you may have never heard those two words in the same sentence in church before, good and sex. <laughs> but when sex takes place within the right context, within the subject of marriage, ah, oh, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Now. There have been times in the Middle Ages, for example, that there were some folks in the church that they went sideways on the subject of sex. And so they said, even if you were married, you should avoid sex as much as possible. They said, you should avoid it on holidays, you should avoid it on weekends. It's a good thing they didn't avoid it too much or we wouldn't be here, right? (laughs) But again, uh, the teaching of scripture is that a good God created the good gift of sex, and when it takes place in marriage, it is not a bad thing, it is a good thing. A good thing, say that with me, a good thing. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible devoted to the idea of romantic love in marriage. It's called The Song of Solomon, and the book starts off this way. It says, kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine, right? Is that in the Bible? Yes, that's in the Bible. Now, if you're married and things have been cooled off, here's your homework for the week. I want you to read through the Song of Solomon together this week. Some of you ladies have been trying to get your husband to read the Bible. This is your chance. He will be interested. Read through the Song of Solomon. It celebrates romantic love within marriage. And in this way, you'll find that think of sex as something like this. We all, we all know what it is. In the winter time, the joy of sitting around a fireplace. You get a fire going and it's nice and warm, and there's light in the room and Boy, just there's nothing like being close to a fireplace and feeling the fire coming out of that context. But if you take away the boundaries of the fireplace and the fire gets outside of that, well, then you know, once the fire is outside of those boundaries, it can end up burning your whole house down. And in the same way, God gives us the gift, the good gift of sex within boundaries, and the boundaries are not there to harm us, the boundaries are there to help us. So we don't end up burning the house down, can someone say amen to that? Uh, In our brokenness, just being real, in our broken condition, and we are all broken when it comes to Uh, humanity, we're all broken when it comes to sexuality. And in our brokenness, it can seem like God is just trying to restrict us. But God is really, his goal is to enhance our lives and to help us become the very best version of ourselves. And that includes the way we manage our sexuality. It used to be, for example, it used to be that uh, when I was a kid, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, It used to be that you would get married and then you would live together. That was what you used to do. But today the trend seems to be the opposite, that you live together and then you get married. I always view it as it's kind of like uh, taking a test drive on a car, right? I mean, if I'm gonna commit to this person and I'm gonna live with them for the rest of my life, I might as well give it a test drive I'll go over kick the tires a bit, make sure that I like this car. And that way, when we get married, we're gonna last for sure. Did you know that that's not exactly true? That couples who live together before they get married have a 50% higher divorce rate Than those who don't. The point is this the boundaries of God are good. They're not there to restrict our lives, they're there to enhance our lives. See, we live as human beings, we live by our boundaries and not just by our instincts. I mean, I have a dog. I have a dog. You can see him up here. His, well, His name is Angus. He's 214 pounds. And when people ask me, where does he sleep? I say, wherever he wants. That's where he sleeps. (laughs) But you and I know. Wait, how many have dogs out in the audience? Let me see. Okay, we have some dog owners. So a dog is just a dog. And a dog does what a dog does. And if your dog goes and sleeps with every single dog on the block you just kind of wink at him, right? <laughs> because that's what dogs do. But we are not dogs, we are human beings. Animals live purely by their instincts. As human beings, we learn to tame our instincts and control our impulses, and I don't have to give in to every single urge. That's part of what makes me a human being and differentiates me from an animal. And so God gives us boundaries. A beautiful picture of this is what we see in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus was, um, Jesus lived for 33 years as a single man. And he lived for that time, not to just show us what God was truly like, but what humanity looks like when it's operating at its best. And Jesus lived a life that was in those boundaries, those good boundaries by God, and he lived and he had joy and he had peace and he had love and he had purpose and he had friends He had male friends, he had female friends, but he never violated those boundaries. And Jesus showed us a pathway of how we can live a good life within the good boundaries that are given by a good God. Now all of us, we hear this and yet we know ourselves and we know how very broken we are and it it just seems so high and far and out of reach. There was a a St. Augustine in his confessions. He wrote that he used to pray, God, give me chastity, but not yet. (laughs) And we all know what it's like to be pulled in those directions. But if we will bring our struggle to Jesus, he is with us, he is for us. And the Bible says, because Jesus was tempted as we are and suffered as we do, he understands us and he is able to help us when we are tempted. Can we give God praise, amen? He's able to help us when we are tempted. So that brings us, the goal of lust is to drive you outside the good boundaries of God. Now, the nature of lust, it starts off with a certain look. It starts off with a certain look. I saw this one guy on Instagram and he's walking down the mall, he's talking to a buddy, and then he walks by a lingerie shop. And I watch the screens and you can see how he navigated that. Oh <laughs> bro, you so stupid, bro. No, I just- hey, hold on, bro. All right, I'm good, bro. Nah, 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 you good. Yeah, nah, you're stupid, bro. <laughs> oh my, yeah. Yeah, I heard about one man who was uh, at the mall with his wife and this very pretty woman walked by and uh, he followed her with his eyes, right? And the wife, without even looking away from the, she was examining a piece of clothing, without even looking away at that, she said to her husband, is it worth the trouble you're in? (laughs) When we're at the mall or we're at the beach or, um, you know, we're at the gym, we're at the pool. And you look around and you see a beautiful person, a beautiful man, a beautiful woman, and you're attracted to them. That's not what it means to lust. We're attracted to each other. That's a, a part of how we've been wired, how we've been made to be attracted to other people. And attraction is not the problem. It could get you in trouble with your spouse. If your spouse says to you, well, do you think she's attractive? Be very careful how you answer that. I suggest you might say, well, some might think so. (laughs) Husbands, you're welcome for that. Now, to look, listen carefully to me, to look and find someone attractive and be drawn to them, that is not the sin of lust. It's the second look. It's the third look. It's when the look becomes a leering look and the leering look becomes a lusting look and you fantasize about this and you fantasize about that and you make a decision with the heart because it starts with a look, but it's a matter of the heart. We read a moment ago, Jesus said that the person who looks at a woman with intent to lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Where? In his heart. Where? In his heart. It's not only what happens on the outside that matters. God cares about what's going on the inside of us. He cares about our heart. God wants to guard our heart. God wants to transform our heart. God wants the heart to be full of love and not lust. And when lust takes over, the heart decides to use the other person. And when human beings are at their best, we're not using each other, we're loving each other. Can someone say amen to that? When we're at our best, C.S. Lewis said that love is the great conqueror of lusts. Lust is out to use people. And What does it look like when that lust takes over? Well, in the Bible, there's a king by the name of David. And one day he's in the palace and he's dealing with a little bit of midlife boredom. I saw this picture of a cat. Maybe this is what David was feeling like (laughs) right there. He's dealing with a bit of midlife boredom. And I wonder, I wonder how many times Our sin is an attempt to just break out of the boredom, try to stir up some excitement, help us to feel alive again. You know, when we're bored or when we're stressed or when we're depressed, those are moments where lust will try to take advantage of that opportunity A few years ago in the Super Bowl, it was 2014, and the Seahawks were playing the the Denver Broncos. And in that game, the Seahawks crushed the Broncos. Now it was interesting, if we can bring up that, that stat right here, there we go. It was interesting that they did a story, they wanted to find out how the results of the Super Bowl, if it affected the porn usage in these different regions. And so the Denver area, before the Super Bowl, it had an average porn use that was 50% lower on average than the other regions of the country. But after they got crushed in the Super Bowl, they went from 50% below the average to 10% above the average, a 60% swing at the end of the game. And the writer who was looking at the results, the journalist said, most men and women turn to porn, not when they're happy, but when they're at at the most vulnerable. We're still waiting the results from the most recent Super Bowl loss. (laughs) And we'll see what happens there. Hello. One of the best things you can do to defend yourself against lust is to take back your joy. Foster your joy. Feed your joy. Hold on to your joy. Let joy drive out the boredom. Let joy drive away the depression. Let joy overwhelm the stress. The joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is my strength. If I hold on to my joy, I can slam the door on that opportunity, amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) All right, back to our story. David's in the palace. He's in midlife boredom. He walks out on a balcony and he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. Now, David had plenty of beautiful, gorgeous women in his life already. He was only supposed to marry one, but he took on more wives than one. And so now he's got a harem of beautiful women, but lust is never satisfied. The wages of lust is more lust. One leader says that lust is the craving for salt of a man who's dying of thirst. And so David has his harem, but he sees Bathsheba. At that point, he could have turned and walked away. And that would have been that. Instead, The look turns into a leering look, the leering look into a lusting look. The Bible says he saw her, he sent for her, and then he slept with her. It is not the look. It's what you do with the look that matters most. So what if we practice just for a moment on looking away? Look and then look away. So everyone lock in on me for just a moment, all right? Everyone look at me, and now look away. Okay, can we do that again? Everybody look at me, and then look away. Okay, we're gonna get it one more time just because this is a spiritual discipline. And I know it's hard to take your eyes off this eye candy here, but (laughs) let's try it one more time. Let's try it one more time. Everybody, are you ready? Look and look away. Give yourself a hand, Cathedral. Way to go. You guys are awesome. The Bible says in Job 31:1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So that brings us to the how to, and I I wanna go over this last part uh, just briefly. I wanna give you three principles. Uh, How do you defeat lust? It's about defeating lust. It's about resisting temptation. That first of all, we need to see by the power of Christ, we can. By the power of Christ, we can. Now, Jesus said uh, a moment ago, we read it. If your right eye causes you to sin, Poke it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now, here's the thing. Do you think Jesus was being literal here? Probably not. Because if you lost one hand and one eye, you'd still have your other hand and your other eye. And if we actually did that, my hunch is this would be a room full of pirates. We'd have lots of patches and lots of hooks, right? What Jesus is saying is this. He is saying, whatever you need to do, do it. Whatever changes you need to make, change things. Do whatever it takes to put yourself in a position to win. When you find yourself being tempted by lust, run away from that temptation. Run away from that temptation. The Bible says, if we can go to that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Run away, run away. Say that with me. Run away. If you have thoughts, run away from them. If you have Uh, If you have opportunity, run away from them. Uh, Whatever you need to run away from. There was a man in the Bible by the name of Joseph. This is exactly what he did. He had a boss, and the boss's wife was hitting on him. Joseph was a good-looking young man, and he kept resisting. She would say, come to bed with me. That's actually what she said. And he said, no, I won't do that. He wouldn't even be around her. And then finally, one day she grabs him by the jacket and she says, come to bed with me. And he leaves his jacket and runs out of the room. He lost his coat, but he kept his character. Yeah, lost his coat, but kept his character. When temptation comes, what you do is you run away from the temptation and then run to God. Run to God. The great leader Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, when lust takes control, God is quite unreal to us. And think about how that works when you lose awareness of God. How it's so easy to get in, give in to the sin of lust. So if we can remind ourselves that God is with us and remind ourselves that God is for us. There's a, a young man who works at the beach and here's what he does. He puts the sign of the cross on the top of his shoes. And when he's at the beach working and when his mind starts to wander too long this way or that way, he takes his eyes and he looks at his shoes. And it reminds him that Jesus is with him. Jesus is for him. Jesus loves him. Jesus has a purpose for him. He's living his life for the glory of Jesus. Practicing the presence of God with you everywhere you go can give you victory over the temptation of lust. Run to God and then run to a trusted friend. Run to a trusted friend. You know, when you become a pastor, you don't cease becoming a man. (laughs) And I'm in my 60s, but I'm not dead yet. (laughs) And so, We all have our battles, we do. Yet one thing I've done over the years, many years now, to try to give me the edge in this battle is I have a trusted friend and we share our struggles together. We pray together, we challenge each other. When he goes on a business trip, I hold him accountable. When I go on a business trip, he holds me accountable. There are no secrets between us. And with that, we've been able to find victory and walk in victory. And what God's done for us, God can do for you. The enemy wants to keep you isolated in your struggle because if you're isolated, then he can defeat you. But if you will get one other person that's on the same spiritual page, that you can trust. Friend, the two of you, you're on your way to victory. Can we give God praise? Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, everyone stand with me, please, as we wrap things up. I want to play you some music and see if you recognize who this who, what this song is or who, it's say, who it is singing it. Let's together, together, you well. If you know his name, shout it out. Oh yeah, the great Al Green. So I was reading this week to wrap things up. I was reading that the great Al Green, that even when he was older and traveling, that women would still throw themselves at him. He's Al Green. And he would do two things, whatever it takes. So his daughters would travel with him as backup singers. That was one thing they did. And he always got a suite where they always stayed together. So if a woman came and knocked on the door, guess who answered the door? (laughs) One of the daughters. And then he did a second thing. Whenever a phone call came to the room, that he'd answer the phone call, and what he'd say is this, hello, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of my life. This is Al Green. (laughs) That's what he did. Whatever it takes, what can we do? I invite you, Manuel's gonna come out and we're gonna sing the Lord's prayer, but I wanna read with you 1 Corinthians 6. Will you read this out loud with me, everybody? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And that's what it means to live a life of integrity before God. I'm gonna invite you, if you're comfortable doing this, just offer your hands up to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this cathedral family and I thank you, God, how you've made us male and female. We thank you for the good gift of of sexuality and who we are as human beings and part of that being male and female. Father, we thank you for your guidelines and your boundaries that show us how in our brokenness we can find our way back to your true intent. And Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy because looking back over our lives, Lord, we've all fallen short of this. And one way or another, God, we're all broken people. But Lord, one day at a time, with your grace, we can continue to move forward to get up Try again, and Father, with your grace, we believe that we can see more victory this year, more in 24, more self-discipline, more victory, more of a flourishing life, more love in our hearts. Lord, I pray that that would happen. Let your grace, mercy, hope, and encouragement fall upon this place in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. All God's people said, Amen. Let's give God praise one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. All the time. All the time. You know, again, thanks so much for coming out today. Thanks for hanging with me on this uh, delicate topic. But I really appreciate you diving into the scriptures with me today on that uh next week the series continues if you need prayer right after service our team will be here after service and then i've asked Manuel to come out you know it used to be there was a season in the life of our church where we would join hands with everybody if you're comfortable doing that i don't want it to be weird but if you're comfortable just take the hand of the person next to you and we would all to close the service sing the last part of the lord's prayer and so manuel is going to lead us in that today would you for thine is the key. Go! Have an awesome, awesome day.